Welcome to Intergalactic Tarbush, eclectic conversations from the Mena with Iyad al-Baghdadi and me, Ahmed Gatnash. We talk about politics, activism, tech, spirituality, mental health, and more. Hey man, how are you doing man? Very good, thanks. So, what have you been up to today? Uh, today? Well, it's been, uh, it's, it's, it's been interesting trying to, uh, you know, like in the morning I normally spend some time reading, right? Like I have half an hour of reading every morning. But then since my tab count has hit 170, uh, I decided, you know, instead of me sitting and, and reading, let me try to integrate the information that's already open and just take notes about them or close them, etc. Do you ever feel like you're in a race against your own self? Whether you can read the stuff faster than you're opening more stuff? Honestly, I don't want to get into my, my bookmarks from 2011 because I haven't gone through that, that Last yet. week I realized that I have some tabs open on my laptop that I opened last spring and I never got around to reading them. And when I looked at them, they were all like really interesting stuff. Um, but it is really interesting. That, that's that's why I can't really get rid of it. Because, like I could have always said, you know what, just delete all of them. But actually, it's really interesting stuff. Yeah, but sometimes there's just so much of it that you feel pressured to read it, and you end up reading it not out of joy, but because you feel like you have to get some tabs closed. I, I mean, I kind of uh, I use one tab. It's uh, it's it's one of those uh, what do you say? Uh, those plugins for Chrome where it it kind of saves all of your tabs in one go but then you know and if you do that then you will have a one tab problem yeah. then because i do have things on one tab going back to 2014 or something that i haven't got yeah, i reached the point where the only real solutions are opening less or reading more anything else is just like hiding the problem in a different place and to be honest i got to the point where i realized that you know this is a uh, this is an, a permanent problem we are always going to be faced with more information that we find interesting that we, that that we actually have time for yeah uh, and maybe we should just accept it that this will be this this will be what it is you're you're never going to get to the bottom of that list you know it's kind of like just like your timeline on twitter is is bottomless yeah it's part of the human condition now in the 21st century I, I was kind of thinking about um, how, like, I wonder, like, I was thinking about regrets people have when they die. And I wonder, like, I was actually thinking, like, will this ever be one of my regrets that, oh, there was that really fascinating thing that I wish I'd read? And you know, it sounds silly, but I actually think maybe I will think, you know, there's so many mysteries in the universe and, you know, so many incredible things that God created and we'll just never get to the bottom of all of them. Like we'll take mysteries to our no, graves. To, to, to be honest, uh, so this this what you just said about like dying reminded me of two two particular moments. To be honest, and these are poignant moments. You know, they're painful moments. But uh, I just re- you just reminded me of them. The first was in um, I can't remember the exact date. It was either twenty sometime between twenty eleven and twenty thirteen when I had a really bad asthma attack and I almost died. Mm. Um, and I actually had a near-death experience. This is when you actually got taken to the ER, right? Yeah, I was in the ICU for a few for a few uh, for a few days, and uh, it was terrible because I I literally almost mm. died. And I remember a thought. So, like, when you are at that moment when you actually are about to die, of course you don't think of these things. But then after that, uh, you know, you're sitting and recovering. One of the thoughts that came to my mind was that was like. How abrupt is it that I have to do's? I have a desk full of, uh, you know, full of papers. Uh, you know, my desktop is completely like full of things that I will never get to. 
and the thought got to my head is like how how this this thing called death uh is it's 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 always going to come at a time which is like inconvenient to mm. you i mean except like i think very very few people actually get to like settle all of their affairs before they die yeah but then i got the same the same thought um when my friend basam uh, basam sabri died in 2014 uh, it was the same kind of thought that you know like so many things unfinished mm. um you know you 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 die with so many projects and so many ideas and so many you know just unfinished i i don't i don't know how we got into something so got the conversation into a dark uh, uh, alley here but i don't know uh, i think it's know, only dark just... if you think about it in a certain way maybe it's just like an incredibly rare blessing that god gives to certain people that he allows them to to go to their grave having actually finished um yeah and i don't know maybe maybe actually it's not that bad to to be to go to your grave with things unfinished it it shows that you've been working until the le- the, the last and it day also it's a, it's a shift in perspective when you accept that actually i'm never going to get to that finished state so i just have to enjoy the process instead yeah well anyway i mean the reason why we we started down this this uh, this path when uh, you asked me about uh, what i'm thinking and i said about my tabs <laughs> and i never actually got to tell you why what comes out of that whenever i do that my room ends up with so many points so many you know so many interesting ideas that i collected from my tabs and i just put there thinking okay either i'll get to them later or this is it you know just an interesting ideas in my knowledge base and it's tab, the harvest right? exactly yeah so sometimes you know sometimes i'm i like i just mention it just like that put in the link and sometimes i kind of okay this is interesting let me think about it uh but actually what i've been most thinking about is really the format of this podcast slash video mm-hmm. um and I'm starting to, like, two things really coming to my mind. The first is, we are going to be learning the format ourselves, even those, even we we, we are the ones who write, like, there's no script for this, so it's not scripted, but we, we basically prepare, do a little bit of preparation for every recording. Um, and we're the people on camera, right? And, and uh, you know, being recorded. And I think that we are going to be experimenting for a while. It's always going to be an educational experience, especially when we're just starting out with something new. I mean, the idea here is that these are eclectic conversations between two people within the Kawakidi ecosystem. Um, and I've been thinking, you know, initially we were thinking this only this can only work with me and you. Mm. Uh, but I'm starting to think maybe not. Maybe like other people in the ecosystem can also have very eclectic ideas and very interesting conversations. The other thing that came to my mind really is that um, it's all it's also going to be kind of a, a, an educational experience because we haven't done video before. I mean, uh, the Arab Tariff Manual was always just audio only uh, as a podcast, and I think we're we're also going to be learning a little bit about how to how to. I mean, the whole idea of doing this is that we want it to be listenable, so we want people to be able to just listen to the track without watching the video. But we also want the video to be there on YouTube, etc., so that people can watch it also if they wish. Yeah, if they wish being the operative thing. We don't know if any, anyone actually wants to watch our ugly faces yet. Um, <laughs> but even with the podcast, um, the Arab Tyrant Manual, we learned a lot. And you can you can hear the evolution by listening to earlier and then later episodes. But I don't think we ever reached the top of the, the learning curve and stabilized. Um, so there's still a lot to learn. And hopefully the longer we iterate on this, the, the better the quality will become. 
I mean, if there is one thing I would, I would, uh, I would want our our listeners or viewers to to tell us about, it's really this: like, what is it that makes us unique? Because we knew that we had a very interesting uh, demographic on the Arab Tarant Manual. We had a really good thing going, and now, of course, it's being relaunched. So I hope that kind of comes back. But we never really drilled down. We never actually did kind of a focus group to, to ask people, what is it that makes this unique? Yeah. Uh, my own impression really is that, yeah, we are natives. You know, we are not really outside from outside the region speaking about it. We're natives. We're, you know, from the Middle East and North Africa talking about issues of global importance, not only about the Middle East and North Africa. We're talking about, you know, global authoritarianism, economic models, the future, etc. But at the same time, we're kind of coming from the trenches. You know, we have skin in the game. We are, you know, fighters in the middle of this, uh, rather than someone who's like an academic, uh, not not throwing shade at academics. Some academics are also fighters. But I'm just saying that uh, we, we, we're we not coming from, with a detached perspective. We are coming with, with a more passionate perspective. And I guess, you know, our analysis was pretty good. Yeah, I hope so. I like to think so. But yeah, basically, if you're listening to this, why? Let us know. Yeah. So anyway, what what? So tell me what you've been. T- t- tell me. No, I'm 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 gonna ask first. What 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 have you been thinking about? What's on what's on your so mind? So I read this really interesting thing about um bird lungs. Um, did you know that birds actually um have air intake and air uh, output through different openings? Yeah, I th- I I think that they do it at the same time. So like it's actually circulating at the same time. So it's not like us where they have to take a breath and then they have to breathe yeah. it out. Right? And that gives them really efficient lungs and that's why they can like fly over Everest and stuff like that. Um, do you know why they got, where they got that system from? So they, where? yeah, they evolved it from dinosaurs. Um, I wonder why dinosaurs would have needed that. I actually dug into it and I found uh, the answer. So basically life on like solid earth began when plants came out of water. And initially, they just clung to rocks like moss because uh, they were used to having uh, like no downward force to fight against because they were in the sea, and suddenly they had gravity with nothing lifting them up. Um, and after you know several million years, they evolved um, the type of uh, material to be able to stand upright. Um, but and then they started you know growing trunks and branches and going upwards. Um, but when they died and fell, um, that material I've actually forgotten the name. Um, but that material, which they uh, built upwards with, couldn't be uh, broken down. So it was just being stored as carbon in the earth. And because of that, the ratio of oxygen in the atmosphere went up significantly. I think it went over 30%. Um, and, you know, if you get to about 40%, that's when lightning can basically spontaneously combust the atmosphere. Um, so after that... Um, I think fungi evolved the ability to break it down and they broke it down by taking in oxygen and locking it in with the carbon molecules to create uh, CO2 and water. Um, And that began to take oxygen out of the atmosphere again. And then the ratio of oxygen in the atmosphere dipped massively over several million years again to something like 12%. Um, Having massive amounts of oxygen in the atmosphere means that you don't need to have a very efficient breathing system. And when you lose all of that and you go down to 12%, I think something like 90% of uh, life on Earth collapsed um, because it just couldn't adapt. Um, And then you had to have stuff evolve to have incredibly efficient breathing systems in order to be able to handle such a low concentration of uh, oxygen. But then when the oxygen went back up again and stabilized at around the 30% we have today, 
um, really massive creatures evolved because there was so much oxygen it was too easy and that's why we got dinosaurs but also well that's part of the reason we got dinosaurs but also you know creatures like frogs the size of dinner tables um, so I just thought that was really cool <laughs> I mean that's that's uh, I'm fascinated I, I told you like, right uh, for, for a while now I'm kind of when I when I want to watch something which is not politics and not related to work to work I end up watching these videos either about uh, you know uh, deep time astrology uh, you know astronomy um, or evolution and so you know I kind of gathered a lot of information over like three and a half or four years passively because I, I kind of watch it while I'm cooking or working out etc when I don't want to think about work but this kind of reminded me of a recent uh, recent video I watched about uh, kind of a comparison between the Earth and Venus. Mm. And how the Earth and Venus basically, the Earth, Venus, and Mars, I think, at some point had very similar uh, conditions. In fact, it's speculated. Of course, everything I'm saying is speculative because you know scientists, of course, don't agree on any on everything. Uh, but the idea is that you know why is it that Earth specifically, out of these three planets, is the one that ended up capable of supporting life long term. Uh, meanwhile, you know, uh, Mars and Venus are kind of desolate now. Venus is basically a hell, a hell world, you know, it's hell. So basically, if you start from uh, the beginning of the solar system, these are kind of three rocks which emerged in similar circumstances and look the same at the beginning. I mean, I mean, they, they're, they're all kind of in the habitable zone, you know, kind of. Uh, and I think up to 500 million years ago, I'm not sure about the, the, the dates, but I think up to 500 million years ago, it is possible that Venus could have supported or could have looked something like, you know, like, like, like the Earth. Um, what's interesting to me is um, the speculation that, of course, we know that the Earth was impacted by a Mars-sized body uh, shortly after it, you know, after after it, uh, it 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 came to be, right? Like I think the the Earth is maybe four point seven billion years or four four point five billion years old, and a few hundred million years after that, it was impacted by this by this giant uh, you know planet-sized object, um, which. Uh, I believe um, had a, a very big impact on the fact that the Earth now can support life. I mean, it's not just about the, the makeup of the Earth, the fact that we have tectonic plates or tectonic motion, the fact that we have a, a moon, a particular, like we have a very large moon, you know, compared to the, to the rest of the solar system. So that system. was the moon broke off of the Earth or off the colliding object? Uh, well, we don't know, but I think I think off the Earth because if you actually do analysis on the on the Earth's uh, on on the Earth, on the rocks of the Moon and the Earth, you find some similarities. Um, of course, the Earth the the Moon does not have an atmosphere and it doesn't have much of a of of, of tectonic motion either. But you know, it's interesting because I think Venus was also smashed, but uh, the angle of impact was different. Uh, it did. It did the opposite of what did. Like with Earth, basically, it gave it gave it a a, a specific. Like it, the it, the Earth had to be impacted at a very specific angle. And that basically set it spinning on its axis to give it night and day. Um, tectonic plates. Yeah. So Venus is the opposite because Venus actually is the only planet that rotates the other way. Like it rotates backwards. Mm. Uh, you know, other than the, all of the other planets. Uh, but also Venus. Uh. uh I'm not. I'm not. I'm not clear about the details, but I think that the the Venus impact uh, kind of turned it into a hellscape. This is what just, of course, this is just a speculation. It just uh, you know, there's so many theories about this, and I think we're still learning more about uh, why Venus is so terrible. I think the only. I think uh, the Russians sent a probe uh, 
down to Venus touchdown thing 1960s um, and it didn't survive for more than a few minutes mm. it's uh, immense pressure uh, plus you know very high temperatures and uh, and of course on top of uh, you know radiation hmm. that's I think uh, one of the thing I've often heard people remark about like scientists is how closely calibrated the initial conditions of life on earth seem to be um, like all of these different factors seem to have a really narrow window which was a Goldilocks zone outside of which you know whatever factor it is wouldn't have supported habitable life I mean, there's a theory, there's a book that's been written, I think written in the 1990s, called Rare, Rare Earth. Yeah. Uh, talking about basically why, you know, because because if you kind of uh, create a, a formula for, you know, how many how many civilizations are possible, like how many intelligent civilizations are there in the universe, um, who created such a formula? I can't remember the, the name of the formula. Uh, but someone actually did create a formula. I think we'll... we'll I'm, I'm sure that we talked about it, me and you, before. I can see you furiously yeah. typing. Is it the Drake <laughs> equation? The Drake equation, yeah. So it's basically, so the Drake equation, nobody really agrees upon the terms of the equation, but it's just the idea that, let's say we can actually boil it down to an equation, Yeah, so right? you plug in like numbers of solar systems, numbers of planets, um, like the Goldilocks zone of distance, um, things like that. Exactly. So like the, the idea here is that just like we know with evolution, um, the, 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 the Earth itself... The conditions of the Earth, in a certain way, determined in a in a certain way what kind of or what kind of life can can evolve mm. in it. Uh, so, for example, um, you know, if just like you mentioned, for example, the whole story, Earth all the life always adapts to the Earth. It's not the reverse, right? We kind of broke the game as human beings because we got to the point where we can actually impact the Earth our, ourselves, uh, and we're kind of messing up. Mm. Uh, but then the whole question, you know, is how rare are these conditions, those specific conditions? Because we're not really talking just about the existence of life, but life which is sophisticated enough to get to the point where uh, it's intelligent and, and you know it has self-awareness, mm. kind of basically like human beings. We don't know because it's, it's quite possible that, or that life is actually very common, but it's all crappy. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> not crappy, but you know, basically like microbial, yeah. you know? That's really fascinating. Um, I don't know what to do with that information, other than uh, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell. I'll tell well, you I was going to just daydream Since... about the you know the possibility of uh, there having been a single solar system which supported three planets supporting intelligent life, and you know what that would have created. Can you imagine if um, the intelligent life on one planet had had become sufficiently advanced to discover the other planets and colonize them? Yeah, well, the, 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 this, that's been written, by the way. So this, this has been speculated before that uh, it's quite possible that whatever the first civilization that arises is going to preempt the create the, the existence of civilizations around it because it's going to destroy mm. all of them. Uh, and of course, there's all, also the question of... Which is basically kind of what Western civilization did on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have egos. We're human beings, right? So, like, we, we are... I mean, I, I ask myself the same question, by the way, about Europeans and why Europeans ended up of, of course, my theory is that it's really had to do with the exploitation of the Americas. Kind of half the planet was 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 uh, you know ripe for exploit exploitation, and European civilizations, especially European cultures, especially uh, the Western of Euro the West of Europe, which is the closest to North America, were able to exploit it uh, more, and therefore they became much more wealthy, much more advanced, etc., than the rest of the world. And you know what what followed was colonialism. But then some sometimes I always ask myself is like. 
is it something about Europeans or European culture, or is it just the human ego? And if anybody else was in their place, they would have done the same yeah, thing. I, I, my tentative conclusion was basically the power corrupts thing, and that they just happened to be handed an amount of power that was never handed to any civilization uh, in human history, and anybody would have done that with such a massive power disparity. Exactly. And, uh, I mean, getting real for a moment before, before uh, you know, ending our recording, because we're already at, at you know, nearing 20 minutes... Um, I never really appreciated how difficult it is to to do regular recordings, especially video, when there's always so much shit happening in your own private life. And then when you when the camera turns on, you you have to smile and you have to just go with the script, right? Or you know go with whatever the the episode plan is. Um, but. I'm I'm getting like I, I was actually worried about this because you know like I have a complicated life and you know I was worried about my mom for a couple of days and I was like mm. really uh, short tempered with everybody and I kind of felt upset about myself with, with myself. But I really feel a an energy come when when we do this because this doesn't feel like work. It just feels like a conversation with my with my body. I think sometimes when times are tough, you just need to geek out about evolution and the creation of intelligent life and <laughs> things on such a massive scale that they just make all your problems seem, you know, insignificant. Really massive scale. Because yeah. at the end of the day we're all dust on on the kind of timeline that um we're talking about and our speculations mean nothing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean I think I think I mean I'm gonna close on this note, uh, but I actually think that the earth is much more spectacular than human beings. Mm. Uh, the the Earth is much more special in the universe, I think, than human beings are, and I think if if uh, you know if we go extinct, I think the Earth will just evolve something else. Well, I'll catch you next time, my, my fellow spectacular yet insignificant <laughs> being. Yes. Salam alaikum. Alaikum salam. Let's talk later. Thanks for listening. To support us, please leave a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find the link to our Patreon in the episode description. See you next time.